You're listening to the Geekscape Network. Time to fire up the VCR. This one's my favorite. Welcome to Analog Jones in the Temple of Film. I'm Steve. And I'm Matt. And we're a VHS podcast that looks at the box art trailers and behind the scenes. And we've got a special weird one for you. What did we watch this week, Matt? We are watching one of the greatest, if not the greatest, slime movie of all time. 1993's Freaked. Ricky Coogan. Rat Pack Sleazebag, <laughs> Elijah C. Studs, Freak Show Tycoon, an amateur bioengineer. I can look at a guy like Kevin Costner and see a giant peach grub. When fate brought them together, Mr. Studs took an average Hollywood <laughs> slime ball and made something out of him. <laughs> oh, God! This was my good side! 20th Century Fox presents Free. It's about friendship. I thought I told him to shut up! Loyalty. I say we kill him! Life's big questions. How many feminists does it take to screw in a light bulb? No show business. The public does not want to see disgusting, depraved, violent filth. And I suppose Jake and the fat man was just a fluke. It's about state-of-the-art technology. It's about Mr. T, the bearded lady. I am woman. Now, like me. It's about Bobcat Goldthwait as a son. It's the end of the world! The apocalypse! Ah! It'll make you laugh. It'll make you cry. <laughs> and it'll make a cold sore that you thought had healed up start bugging you again. It's the kind of film Brooke Shields has always wanted to do. Oh. <laughs> Introducing Larry Bud Melman as the President of the United States. In free, coming soon to a uh, theater. Free, but ugly, but funny. Welcome to show business, morons. Oh, this was one that I did not find until college, but when I found it, it just blew my mind. Like it was just a rabbit hole of weirdness that I jumped into. This is one of my longtime loves. I was just lucky enough to have a video store that had it. And with a cover like the one it has, which even the VHS cover isn't as cool as like the theatrical poster. But still, with the cover it had, I was immediately drawn in and I rented this thing until that tape was worn. Let me tell you. So I eventually had to buy it on VHS, which we'll talk about, was super hard to find. Yeah, Ricky Coogan just wasn't popular enough to get all those uh, VHSs made. <laughs> well, we all can't be Stewie Glux, so. <laughs> oh, I love how Alex Winter apparently in the commentary had to tell people they're like, that's not his real ears. <laughs> a little troll. <laughs> <laughs> that character. It's funny how he goes through a progression of being the most annoying thing in the world and then like helping the freaks escape. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He ends up being the hero. <laughs> Stewie Glux. Oh, I know a lot of people haven't seen this, but if you want to, you can watch it for free on YouTube. Treat yourself to this and then come back and you can hear us talk about one of the best makeup effect movies 
it's so memorable because it's so 90s. It's so weird and kind of hidden. A lot of people don't know about it, especially normies. And when they do find out about it, they're like, what are you watching? This is a great one to put on in the background of a party. Absolutely. I think this one, too, could find audiences from the Bill and Ted series. I feel like this one does feel like an extension somewhat of Bogus Journey in that, like, it's weird and it's got a lot of really interesting, like, visual stuff. But more so than that movie, like you said, this is a super makeup movie. This is like slime, Screaming Mad George, (laughs) monsters, like lots and lots and lots of practical effects. If you love... Late 80s, early 90s, super practical effects. This is your movie. Yeah, this was a gateway drug movie. Like, I I got it in college, and I was explaining to Matt beforehand. I went to a little bitty con uh, in whatever suburb of Chicago. I can't remember. And I mean little bitty. You know, the square footage was so small, and I remember, you know, like, the concrete below was like just cubes drawn with numbers in them for people to set up their tables. I mean, it was sketchy as hell this guy in the corner who just sets up all these bootleg dvds that were clearly just ripped vhs's but trying to sell it as if it is the dvds it's fine when you sell it of you know like hey just have a bunch of vhs's and i ripped them to do dvd as long as you're truthful this guy was not this guy's just like come here and look at all these dvds i got you know in the early 2000s he's like okay no problem. This seems totally safe. This guy's not going to rob me. Uh, and I see this little bitty VHS that has freaked on it. And it has what I didn't know was Alex Winter on there. It just had a bunch of weird monsters on there. Picked it up, took it home, watched it, got on my dial up internet. I think it was dial up at that time and just just went down a rabbit hole of weirdness looking up Steve Johnson films. And that's when it introduced me to a bunch of stuff that I had no idea that he did. And then Screaming Matt George, I got introduced to and going down that. And then when I found Society and I was like, what the fuck? And also Guyfer, which played quite a few times in our college apartments. It's just like watching this fucking weirdness and then finding out that he did the great cockroach death and you know nightmare in elm street for this is one of the movies that started me just like really expanding farther into all this I, I loved it as a kid but you know when you get to college i had a little bit more money i could go and buy these magazines or get on the internet which was actually the biggest thing i had to get my fix yeah if i were ever going to program a double feature with this movie at some point i would either do freaks the todd browning one with this or I would do Freaked and The Giver because I think those are like two masterpieces of Screaming Mad George Slime. I would, I'm glad you brought up The Giver because I feel like they go hand in hand. So if that is one you've seen and you like a lot and you want to see more of like an MTV comedy version of The Giver, Freaked is going to be your movie. They share a lifeline that is beyond Screaming Mad George and that it's just practical effects and slime and goo and grossness uh, in a PG-13 rating. Because <laughs> go figure. <laughs> The 90s. And they just morph the body. That's what he's known for, in my opinion. And if you want one even farther down the line of craziness, watch Faust from, I believe, 1998, 97? Uh, I think it was 99, but it didn't come out here until 2001, though. So the VHS of that is going to say 2001. But I think they made it in 99 in Spain. Yeah, that movie is fucking awesome, too. (laughs) It's so bizarre. So weird. So slimy, too. It's another MacGyver kind of movie. I guess they're doing a spawn 
kind of. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Watch it. Form your own opinion. But definitely, if you want to get into some weird stuff and just screaming Mad George again going off. <laughs> uh, anyway, back into this film. The Alex Winter movie where someone in Fox decided to give this man $12 million to make a film. And then, of course, he that producer got fired, who was doing some pretty weird stuff on his own. Like the amazing live sea monkeys. We ruined the professor's combusty scope. He's gonna hit the roof. Come on, guys. So you broke the machine. I mean, what's the worst that can happen? Oh, uh, the worst that can happen? The, the Martians, they could invade the planet. The ozone could be more depleted. I could be allergic to chocolate. <laughs> that was one of those ones that I totally like. Nothing in my brain for that one at all. And then you told me about it and I Googled it. I saw the picture of the sea monkeys. I was like, oh my God, I remember this. (laughs) I don't think I was ever like a frequenter of the show or anything, but I like remember the commercials and remember people talking about it and stuff like that. Yeah. And this producer you had mentioned, like also worked on like Killer Clowns from Outer Space and the 90s Land of the Lost. So this guy was just bringing up weird stuff, but this is like the way it should be. You're giving an artist kind of free reign and some money to make their vision so alex winter takes his two buddies from uh the idiot box show and uh they make a movie together uh tom stern and tim burns this is the way it should be you've given you're giving some money to an artist to just go and that's what this is it's uh it's a vision for sure (laughs) yeah i I think it was too much money i I think nowadays you know this would be like blumhouse giving you know an artist five million dollars right like well we can put it (laughs) we can put it on the theater and probably make 21 you know 20 million dollars we know how to market these uh this was back in the day where this was this was a gigantic risk for 12 million dollars i mean i know alex winter was coming off both Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and Bogus Journey. And he definitely, you know, knew his way behind the camera coming from New York Film School. Same thing with Tom Stern. I think they were friends in NYC. And, you know, he'd done the Idiot Box on MTV, which you can watch all those on YouTube. Talk about such a raw, in-your-face, just screaming comedy. Mr. McPhee, do you have a headache? Yes. One of these pain-killing tablets has the power it takes. Please, will you, can you shut up? Please, you're driving me crazy. Just leave me alone, please. But Mr. McPhee... Will you shut up? If you'll just... No, try... shut up! Now can't you see that I am in severe pain? Please, Mr. McPhee, just try these tablets. Shut up! You shut up! But... You're driving me crazy! This is... Oh, my God! Oh, my God, the pain! Please, Mr. McPhee... I got pain! But Mr. McPhee... Hey! of these pain... But but just like with super like creativity, you know, that was like one of the things I loved about shows like Idiot Box and Liquid Television and stuff that were on early MTV. It was just like raw creativity. It was just like, just go. And that's what these things are. And that's, again, another extension of what this movie feels like. It does feel like that early MTV creativity, kitchen sink, let's just give them everything that we can think of kind of movie and yeah like it it is totally born out of like the idiot box and the other things that mtv were doing at the time i'm fascinated with the early mtv series you know beavis and butthead and idiot box which was like you know six episodes not that long but what they started doing back in the day yeah you're right it was like a raw nerve a lot of the times they had no direction they were just being creative i mean that was fine in my opinion on the that kind of format that's perfect 
that's how you launch careers. I mean, that's, you know, Idiot Box kind of did with Tom Stern, which has been working for a really long time. I mean, he even directed a few of the toys that made us. And this is another like if you're if you loved Freaked and you want to go down a rabbit hole thing. One of my favorite things that uh, Tim Burns and Tom Stern did was they wrote the script for An American Werewolf in Paris, which if you can get past the terrible effects is a really, really, really weird movie. So I recommend giving that one a second viewing if you kind of brush it off in the 90s. as kind of a stupid sequel to American Werewolf in London. It, it's got some of that vein that of Freaked through it because of their comedy. They wrote that screenplay. So I uh, recommend giving a second viewing to American Werewolf in Paris if you like Freaked. Uh, but just, you know, grit your teeth during the bad CGI. Yeah, and I, I love these type of movies that came out in the early 90s or the late 80s. I'm not going to call it's not Police Academy-esque. You know what I mean? It's not Airplane. But you have it where it kind of blends from that into like UHF to say free tier where it's a joke a minute. Hell, it's a joke like every 10 seconds. It's it's hard to keep up with. And I bet you every time you watch this, you kind of notice something new. Absolutely. And I think one of the benefits of the fact that the movie is 75 minutes long, which oh, bless them. But one of the benefits of it being 75 minutes long is that I think, at least just as a fan of the movie, I think every joke hits. The one-liners are funny. The, you know, the setups and payoffs are really funny. Uh, And it absolutely is that, like, airplane, naked gun, uh, hot shots kind of style where it's just joke after joke after joke, uh, which you're right. We saw a ton of in the early 90s. But this one works. And I think it is the short running time. It's the breakneck pace of the movie. They really trim the fat and, like... I think gave you all kind of winning one-liners. Uh, this is also coming from me as a fan. I have this movie uh, memorized. So if you ever need the dialogue from this movie recited, I can do it. <laughs> yeah, it's fascinating. I, I do think out of the 90s, well, I don't know if UHF came out in the 90s. It might have been 89. I don't quite remember. Yeah, the UHF, the Hot Shots Part 2, do. Uh, freaked here. Yeah, some of these just really hit, put a lasting impression on my mind. I mean, of course, I didn't find Freaked until college, but still, I mean, I've, I've seen this film now like 10 times or more. It still blows my mind every time that they got the money to make this because this is just three super creative people with hardly any filter. Yeah, and just money to go. Here's three effects companies. You got Screaming Mad George, uh, Steve Johnson, and one I can't remember, put in all these butthole surfers and blind idiot God songs. And like Keanu Reeves is in there. John Hawks is in here. Mr. T is in here. Randy Quaid, like stacked cast. It's got it all. Like the money is well spent, I will say. Oh, for the effects and everything like that. Yes. I mean, I don't know who the hell this was could be marketed to because I think even the Bill and Ted crew at the time, you know, people who watch that uh, and then all the weird stuff on MTV. I don't know if that audience was big enough to market it. But nowadays, this is a perfect type of film to put on streaming. This is the shit I want to see on some of these streaming services. Start small and grow with uh, sometimes with the theaters, you know, like if they don't do well, really well back in the day, then they just get shelved. And you're like, uh, you know, we put out a few of the tapes here and there. But with streaming services, I think these type of films I want to see more of just pure creativity. Yeah, I agree. I mean, these are my favorite kind of movies. These are the movies I grew up with. These are the movies that made me want to make movies. They made me want to do stuff like this. 
the freaked is one of the movies that made me fall in love with movies. I would love to see more stuff like this. So Hulu, if you're listening, I know you have Disney's Fox stuff. Hulu, put it up there. Get it up there for people to see. <laughs> yeah, and then just like to your thing about the VHSs, I'll just say like I was lucky enough to be able to rent this movie from my video store when I was young, and that's what led me to discover it. But I I fell in love with the movie hard, and it was one of my favorite movies as a kid. I even still in the '90s had the special order this VHS from either like a Suncoast or an FYE, probably Suncoast because before FYE, I had to order this from a Suncoast for like thirty, forty bucks to just get it shipped to the store because it was so hard to get a hold of and i'm glad i got it because it's even harder to find now i mean i've never seen it in the wild because if i did i'd buy it yeah i mean i if i saw it in the wild now i would i would buy it as well (laughs) and i still don't know where my copy that i got way back in the day the bootleg i don't know where it's at it just disappeared somebody snagged it somebody was like oop that's a good one (laughs) now let's talk about this vhs that you have the cover does not represent the movie at all Cover's pretty tame. Uh, it's not as grotesque as the theatrical poster, which has Ricky Coogan as like the Beast Boy on it. We just get normal Alex Winter and sunglasses on the front of this one. Uh, but you do get like a little top face view of like some of the wacky characters in the movie, um, like Cowboy and Sockhead. Um, so there's a little taste of it on this cover. Of course, you get Cowboy, which I think would have been enough for me to be like, wait, what is this? What this looks like is like one of those comedies. I don't know why I look at this cover and I see like Rat Race from the early 2000s. You know, like when those, hey, this is a wacky comedy where all these stars come together and do do do. But this movie is not that. No. Yeah. And I mean, even even the cover, it's got it, it totally has that you know, ensemble comedy kind of thing because it has like Alex Winter, Randy Quaid, William Sadler, Mr. T, Brooke Shields, the names listed on there. Beyond that, we know that like Bobcat Goldthwait and John Hawks and Keanu Reeves are in this movie as well. So this is like a star-studded comedy, for the t- especially for the time. But uh, yeah, this cover does t- sort of feel like that rat race kind of like, here's all our wacky characters and they're going to go on an adventure together. Uh, but the tagline, I think, takes it a little over the edge with but ugly, but funny. That kind of gives you the attitude that this movie is going to have this MTV abrasive, you know, in your face comedy kind of style that it is. And it even has a review at the bottom here from the creator of Ren and Stimpy that just says the funniest film in years. And I feel like that was another draw for me because I was obsessed with Ren and, Ren and Stimpy as a kid. And I was like, OK, if the creator of Ren and Stimpy says this is funny, this better be pretty funny. Yeah, I agree. The Ren and Stimpy line, if I would have seen this ever as a kid and figured out that it had like grotesque monsters in it. Yeah, I definitely would have rented it. But I would have looked at this cover and probably never read who put that quote up. That's the problem with this. Like, It feels like they were trying to hide what type of film it was, hoping more people would rent it off of like, oh, it's ensemble comedy. And I, I recognize that guy from Bill and Ted. Yeah, they definitely covered up sort of the grotesque stuff that's in the movie, uh, which is obviously the fucking best stuff in the movie. <laughs> but yeah, it does. It just it does seem like it's trying to sell it more as a comedy, because even when you flip it over to the back, the review from Entertainment Weekly, who really liked the movie, by the way, and still it comes up on their like cult classic lists every now and again when Entertainment Weekly puts one of those out. Um, but they have a review on here that says more laughs than a month of Saturday Night Live. So, again, they're pushing that it's like a comedy and not how wild it actually is so what's the description on this on the back we have uh we have randy quay as elijah c skuggs kind of presenting 
the description. He's like lifting back a purple curtain and behind the curtain is our description. Ricky Coogan, Alex Winter, is a greedy, spoiled Brat Pack star who sells his soul to an evil mega corporation, becoming a high-priced celebrity pitchman. On a journey to South America promoting the company's toxic fertilizer, he finds his show business career mutates in a new direction. During a visit to a theme park filled with human oddities, the demented proprietor, Randy Quaid, transforms Coogan and his two friends, Michael Stoyanoff and Megan Ward, into star freak show attractions. Now they've got to find a way to get normal, or at least as normal as they've ever been. Featuring Morgan Fairchild, I forgot she was in this too, Bobcat Goldthwait, Brooke Shields, and Mr. T as the Bearded Lady, it's a carnival of monstrous comedy that will leave you freaked. Man, we got to talk about when we pop this tape in. Uh, First, did we get any trailers? No trailers, just the Fox video logo and then the movie starts. And now, our feature presentation. First, Brooke Shields really surprises me that she's in this. Yeah, and of course, uh, pretty early on, there is a Blue Lagoon joke uh, on the airplane uh, when they're first heading over to South America. Uh, she goes, uh, did they show a movie? And uh, Ricky Coogan goes, yeah, Return to the Blue Lagoon. And Brooke Shields just goes, oh, I heard that one sucked. <laughs> yeah, so she, she's got a good sense of humor and she's playing this character up, you know, at the end, especially with the little surprise on her character. I was impressed that uh, she would do something like this. So her, her timing for being kind of deadpan is, you know, TV, Maury kind of like host of, uh, you know, salacious stories or whatever you know like how they had in the 90s sally jesse and those um yeah she plays this character she plays it so well i think she's hilarious in this movie now his friend what was his friend's name again uh michael stoyanoff he is from blossom yeah i would say the only thing i know him from is this and then i was aware that he was in uh blossom but that was it i don't i don't think i've seen him in anything else yeah, and he's, you know, like the the rude, crude college kid, you know, or they're just doing their whole 90s shtick. Works really well when he gets introduced to the opposite of his character in Megan Ward. Hey, Julie, how many feminists does it take to screw in a light bulb? How many? Two. One to screw it in and one to ride my Rodney. <laughs> oh. But then I got the whole point of this when they finally meet Megan Ward's character in South America, who is the 90s trope of being an environmentalist, which I feel like is now a trope that is just completely gone. It's so dated, but the 90s loved it. Yeah, because now I feel like there's too many people that are just, you know, interested in saving the environment. But in the 90s, it was kind of like a I want a fashionable thing. You know, more to be like, of of course, like this movie's leading lady would be that, you know, it, it wouldn't happen today because it doesn't have that, that, you know, almost like fad fashion sort of uh, feel that it did in the early 90s because people just care about the environment in general now. <laughs> now people are like, can we actually do something about this? Because uh, it's getting kind of bad. <laughs> <laughs> or Julie and Ernie, they get smushed together and do uh, conjoined twins. Uh, so they have to learn to live with each other, literally. Um, and it's a, it's a good, clever way to do this kind of shtick. And it works, I think. I think Michael Stoyanoff excellent in this movie as Ernie. I think he's so believable as like the 90s kind of shit funny guy. And then Megan Ward. I mean, this is probably one of my biggest, if not my biggest 90s crush. 
I, she is the quintessential 90s queen in my mind. <laughs> yeah, she's definitely one of them. Uh, I mean, most most of my memories of her are from Encino Man or Joe's apartment. Also favorites of mine. You know, once I hit college, I was like, yeah, whatever happened to her? And I think she ended up going on and doing some type of soap opera. Yeah, where she's been for like the last 20 years. Part of that was to stay in one location and raise her children. Which I completely understand because she was uh, one of the vocal actresses doing interviews and stuff like that where she said, you know, just this acting gig is exhausting. You know, you never turn it off. You've got to go five days a week, you know, either working and then you'll maybe get a weekend off. But really, you're just prepping for the next week. And she was just done doing movies. And she was in everything in the 90s so like of course she would be exhausted everything from like the full moon movies to one of the amityville movies to in like the encino man and joe's apartment type you know bigger comedies she worked i feel like people really forget how much she was in in the 90s yeah and i think that's a shame because i not only think that she's like gorgeous i also think she's like talented i think she's funny here she gets to do her gets to show off her comedic chops here and like like in joe's apartment and encino man but she's also just like a good actress she's talented and that's why she was able to do a soap opera for 20 years you know that takes a lot of work well it's not so revolting i mean after all physical beauty is merely a socially enforced myth that And William Sadler in this as the, I guess, president of, what is this called? Everything Except Shoes? E-E-S. The Everything Except Shoes Company. You are the only one who can stand up to these radicals who are trying to keep Zygrot 24 from the struggling farmers whose very future depends on it. Wasn't that stuff banned? Only in the U.S. and Europe. I heard that shit's lethal. All right, you need proof. Fine. Please sit down. I would like you to meet the head of our South American research facility, Senor Juan Valdez. My name is George Ramirez. Whatever. He's been working with Zagrat 24 every day for the last five years. And look at him. He's in fine shape. Aren't you? Juan. And then it's revealed halfway through the movie that he's Laughing Man, yes. uh, who is uh, Elijah C. Scuggs' inside man, getting him the Zygrot 24 to make the freaks. Now, I'm assuming Alex Winter got him to be on this because of their relationship when they made Bogus Journey. Oh, has to be. Also, he's hilarious in this, too, as like corporate greaseball. <laughs> yeah, he's not quite as good as Death. I mean... You know, Death is an iconic character, but this yes. one is so good where his smile in this is just so evil and funny. <laughs> yeah. Probably the character, in my opinion, that just steals the show. And this is tough to do in a movie like this. Randy Quaid as Elijah C. Scuggs is perfect. Yes, this is his best performance, and I'm even counting Cousin Eddie. He is so good in this movie, and so evil, and so weird, and he has all the best lines. Let's go, Ernie. This place is dead. Yeah, where's all the weirdos? There are no weirdos here! Mutant! 
twisted masses of living, breathing, tormented flesh. Certainly. But as for weirdos, <laughs> not a one. Unless, of course, you count me. Yeah, and he's not even the worst person in this film. It's still the evil corporation sleazeballs. There's like a part of this film where I'm like, well, I can't believe they did that to him. (laughs) (laughs) That's all right. He had a break in in case of a double crossing corporate uh, (laughs) greaseballs freak maker, and he turned all of them into a really big shoe. (laughs) We get so many of these. Now they're dated lines, but still just good enough. You know, I mean, they're well known enough that people can still get them. Like, I don't know how many kids will get. That's a really big shoe. Yeah. (laughs) They're not going to get that unless they get on the internet to understand that. And even then they might not find it. But yeah, there's a lot of dated references in this that I still find funny. Like the guy who's holding the I love Ike. Yeah. Or I like Ike sign. Yeah. Yeah. And he gets impaled by it later. (laughs) It's through him. (laughs) This is the one thing I love about these type movies, you know, where I was talking about like hot shots and all this, where they stack jokes over and over. And when you think they're done, bam, they hit you with it right there at the end. Like I like Ike sign impaling him when this movie just goes crazy at one point, which this movie goes crazy in like two or three sections. But the end. Wow. I mean, even that scene with uh, Professor Nigel and the subtitles for uh, (laughs) uh, Ricky doing the Hamlet speech or whatever. And then he comes back later. Run for the hills. (laughs) (laughs) One of the jokes, I don't know why it made me laugh so much, but it really did. When, uh, you know, Skuggs is like announcing, he's just like, for anyone who is easily offended, you need to leave now. And then. Two clearly gay guys get up and they're like, well, okay," and just walk off. I don't know why I laughed at that so much because you hear all the time. They're like, this is graphic. If you cannot handle this, please leave the room, you know, like on TV before they show someone getting like shot or whatever. And I love how they just played into it. They're like, maybe we should leave. (laughs) They're like, nope, this isn't going to be for us. (laughs) And this movie, like the whole thing, this whole plot is short and sweet. Ricky Coogan gets a deal that he, you know, can't say no to in five million dollars to be the spokesman for a uh, fertilizer that's basically been, what, it's illegal in the United States and Europe. Yes. And he's like, uh, you know, he's talking to his people, which are like, I see an Indian guru in the background and like just a bunch of weird weirdness. Yeah, he's got an entourage of like basically like the 90s village people behind him. <laughs> and we can't explain everything in this film because we'd be here all day. It's insanity. It's filmic insanity. (laughs) So he goes down to South America to be the corporate sponsor for this. And they meet Julie. Are you okay? Let me help you. Thanks. Don't worry about me. What's one man's pain? Wait against the global injustice of corporate tyrants like EES. Go. The fight must continue. Wow. My name's Julie. Josh. Josh Tapper. Mother Teresa, glad to meet you. Give me those, you ape. Josh. Yeah? A busload of us are headed over to Marathas to protest Zygrot 24 (sighs) and pelt Ricky Coogan with cow shit. After they see Morgan Fairchild on a plane, which I love how the plane crashes and then it cuts 
to Alex Winter. Boy, am I glad that wasn't our plane. <laughs> and then the wheel lands. Yeah. <laughs> like, I laugh so hard in this movie in certain parts because it's just so stupid. And then the movie immediately turns into just a, a monster freak show because they see a freak show on the side of the road and they're like, huh, that looks interesting. Let's go there. And then it's a whole nother movie where Skuggs is like an experimental. He's a proprietor of freaks. Um, he is a freak maker and he has this base. Yeah. Theme park that he runs with all these different freaks and he has made all of them and we get these flashbacks of like how all of them were created. I laugh every time they do the hammer. It's so stupid, (laughs) but it cracks me up every time. I think it's the funniest one. Well, I don't know. Maybe the Bobcat one where it's just like, I I was going fishing and then I'm a sock puppet. (laughs) I'm not much for stories. (laughs) I first came here as a tourist looking for some fun. Nice place. Then Elijah turned me into a sock. Yeah! I'm sorry. I'm I'm not much for stories. They're just so stupid. Yes, I just the jokes come fast and furious in this movie, and I love it. I don't think there's been another comedy like this that has tapped into sort of just the relentlessness of kind of the zingers that come in this one. It, yeah, it's like an airplane or naked gum, but this is like with slime. So it's it just keeps it just keeps coming even weirder and more aggressive than those from the past. And they set stuff up and they have the patience to execute them like, like everything except shoes company at the very very end. You know, it's like a 70 minute set up for a joke where they become a shoe at the end. <laughs> like, that's funny. Or the macaroons. The worm guy, he's just like, Ugh, I just can't stand macaroons. And at the end, he actually is still a freak because he never got the, he never got reversed. Yeah, he never had the antidote, which was baked into uh, a batch of macaroons. <laughs> and there's plenty for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the worm, the worm doesn't get it and what he would give just to wipe his own ass. <laughs> Who is your favorite freak out of all these? It's tough. I really like all of them. I really do because I love the characters. Um, I, one of my favorite scenes in the movie is the Hollywood Squares when we get introduced to all of them, including Paul Lynn. Who's going to be? No seat or no smack. What? Cowboy. Annie. The bearded lady. How you doing? Sockhead. Hi. Ah, the eternal flame. <laughs> Which is a joke I never understood when I first watched it. I had no idea what that meant. And then finally, a few years ago when I watched this, I can't even remember. I think it was when I went down to Austin and it was just playing at one of these bars. I think I finally looked it up and I'm like, oh, he was the center square for like 20 years. Yeah, I I didn't know either the first time I saw this. It literally took me seeing like a TV Land or whatever episode of Hollywood Squares to know to get the joke or whatever. Um, But I, I would say maybe Sockhead, maybe Bobcat. Might be my favorite. I'm pretty heartbroken when he dies in the movie. I, I just love, I think Bobcat's fucking hilarious. I still think he is, but uh, I think it translated really well into like this insecure 
sock puppet man who isn't really a sock puppet freak. He is just hands. <laughs> well, yeah, his head turned into a hand. But puppeteering is an art, okay? <laughs> I have a really hard time. Uh, my least favorite is Nosy, and I think that's on purpose. Yeah, he's supposed to be the worst. Everybody hates Nosy. <laughs> yeah. Like, that is the least memorable, even though I looked at it this time, really. I paused and looked at all the makeup, and I'm like, that's incredible <laughs> what they pulled off. But Internal Flame, I think, makes me laugh the most when I figure out that, you know, that actor was in the idiot box, you know, and then when I was in college figuring out that, you know, he was one of the goofballs in the Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, he was the friend of the guy who had the, like, I guess, fake eye. Anyway, the Internal Flame where he just farts the entire time, I feel like <laughs> is such a college kid writing, you know, like just like, I don't know, he just farts a flame. But the entire movie, the entire movie, like it's just like, OK, that seems stupid, but we'll go with it. But I think the one that made me internally laugh the hardest because I know what they're doing was the toad because he's just a dude in scuba gear. But then at the end, he has one line of dialogue and it's French. And I'm like, oh, oh, I get it. And I just laugh because they committed to such a stupid joke. They think he's the toad. The toad is the partner the the frog frog i'm sorry frog frog boy or whatever frog man <laughs> toad is one of these ones that like i really always forget he's in it because he's such a like a background character but you know when he dies at the end with the firecracker which they set up at the beginning with the cigarette which is absolutely hilarious because when he does the the first tongue and he gets the candy bar it's funny but when he does it the second time and steals the guy's cigarette it's so it's such a great cutaway to him with it and then we get the great uh wide shot of him pulling an entire helicopter out of the sky <laughs> we haven't even talked about keanu reeves keanu reeves is ortiz the dog boy in a uncredited appearance but he's super in this movie don't let the uncreditedness like let you think it's a cameo he's in this he's one of the main freaks he's the leader the pack leader he's not part of the end mission because they just cut away. And there is a reason why Keanu Reeves completely leaves this movie about 40 minutes in. It's because he had to go shoot another movie. And then they got him to come back at the very end. Because a lot of this movie is actually recorded in order. <laughs> like linear order of the movie. Yeah, and this is 1993, guys. So Keanu Reeves is fucking busy at this time <laughs> he's one of the biggest stars of the early 90s yeah and I, I guess some of the actors complained i know mr t got really frustrated with this and left and they basically had to use someone else's voice in some parts for adr and even a you know a fake mr t uh he was really frustrated at the amount of time that this took but with a heavy effects and makeup movie like this what do you expect and Mr. T had it easy. He was just, yeah. he just had a fake beard. He just had to be the bearded lady, which I think is also hilarious casting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not like he was Ortiz the dog boy, which the whole reason he doesn't actually have like a real origin story is because his agent didn't want Keanu Reeves to be forefront in this movie. He thought it would hurt his career. But I guess they came up with, uh, you know, a middle ground where he would always be covered in makeup. And it'd be uncredited, but they still paid him apparently a million dollars. And honestly, the makeup works really well because pre-internet in the 90s, when I saw this movie, I had no idea, not even a clue that this was Keanu Reeves. It wasn't until the internet that I found out that it was. 
So on the one I had on the back, it had Keanu Reeves' name on it, but I didn't know who Keanu Reeves was in the movie. The first couple times I watched this, I go, where the fuck is Keanu Reeves? But now that I know that and I watch it, I cannot not see that that's Keanu Reeves. Oh, yeah. Now it's so obvious. (laughs) But it tricked me when I was, you know, in my early 20s. Yeah, I mean, and the makeup's good. It hides him. You don't even know. But I think my favorite freak uh, or hideous mutant freak, I always get it. I'm like, well, I really like Cowboy. Because I know it's uh, John Hawks, who actually worked with them in Idiot Box as well. He was the um, the Flying Gimp's dad, I believe. And they used the Flying Gimp joke right at the beginning of this movie, just to give you, just to let you know that you're in for something weird. It's the first joke in this movie. We repeat, the Flying Gimp has been destroyed. You may return to your homes. Again, people, watch the Idiot Box. It's, it's short. You can do it all on YouTube. You know, they got Station to be in this film as well. Actor who played Station. Arturo Gill. I think that's how you pronounce his name. You know, they got him as a small cameo to the farting clown. I can guess your weight and I'll fart it. One, two. <laughs> and who's the woman that he's guessing the weight of? Oh, is it? It's Catherine Hardwick. That's hilarious. Yeah, that, I didn't know that she was in it, but I did know that this was an early production design job for her, which is what she did for years before becoming a director herself. Yeah, it's pretty funny because I know their post-production budget got slashed massively in this. They never even got a soundtrack to come out for this. Now, luckily, we've had a vinyl come out in the last couple of years, which is really cool and I'm impressed. And because that was so popular and it sold well, I'm hopeful that we'll see this be released by some company that Disney just like makes up. Or, you know, they can, as, as a Fox property, you know, they could license it maybe to like a... Scream Factory or, you know, one of those companies that does boutique releases or something like that that could treat this really nice, you know, whether they, you know, Disney releases it themselves or they license it. I would like to see this get something. They did do it in the 2000s when it was still just Fox. They licensed it to Anchor Bay, who was Scream Factory before there was Scream Factory for you youngins. Anchor Bay put this out in like 2004 and a DVD that's really hard to find now, too, because it was the only other release of this movie. Yeah, wasn't it a multiple one? Yeah, it was a two-disc DVD, and and the second disc had a rehearsal version of the movie they cut together, which is basically them just rehearsing the script front to back on the soundstage or wherever they filmed it. Uh, And it has like 30, 40 minutes of stuff that didn't actually make it into the movie, so it's really interesting to see. But I think they kept the best jokes, so... I would love to see the rehearsal on that. That sounds amazing. Yeah, it's a cool little extra feature. And I would, if they do put this out again, I would, I would hope that they would include that because it is, it's a, it's a good way to kind of get deleted scenes in quotes because there aren't any deleted scenes. So it's a good, good way to see what could have been uh, if this were like a two-hour movie versus an yeah an eighty-minute movie. And I'd also love to know what the hell the story of the pinhead lady was. Rosie the pinhead. <laughs> Actually, that's probably a kind of person that would be in this show, like someone with a pointed head. Yeah, they kind of just like make her an idiot. You know, got the voice of an angel and then she sings and it's, of course, like the worst. You know, (laughs) she's just banging the microphone against her head or whatever. (laughs) That made me snort. That's that's so funny. And the audience swaying back and forth because they love it. You know, it was just perfect. So I, I guess we'll get to the highlight of this at the end, you know, other than the shoe which is that great, great like claymation. But we're talking about 
the giant animatronic suits of uh, Stewie Gluck, who becomes a super freak because someone gets pissed at him. I don't know, the super freak like fertilizer slime, you know, smashes it basically over his head, which Stewie Gluck is getting beat the shit out of this entire movie. Oh, yeah, he falls out of a plane. He gets locked in a cage with three-headed chickens. Like, <laughs> uh, Yeah, and then they finally make the goo to make the good freak, which is the kind of their plan to thwart Skugs. And yeah, he's sitting in the audience like, hey, I got it. And some guy's like, hey, sit down, troll. And he turns into a troll, of course. <laughs> uh, and then you have the full freak boy. Uh, I heard someone say one time that they must have been based off like the hot rod uh, monster. Do you remember the hot Hot Rod Monster? Oh, yeah. Like the Hot Rod and like Rat Sink kind of mm-hmm. look. Yeah, absolutely. This is what they look like. Yeah. And they just go toe to toe and it's a lot of fun. And then one time he, you know, like breaks Skugs back and Skugs gets thrown into the, you know, slime. Uh, you think he's dead because then the FBI comes out of nowhere and they're like hey what took you so long but first we needed to check the house that dripped blood and everybody's like oh yeah yeah <laughs> then <laughs> then we had to check on bat boy <laughs> uh, because they go through the weekly world news to yes. find out yeah where they need to go next uh and then they come down to south america to save ghost dude star ricky Coogan. <laughs> the elijah c Skuggs freak that he turns into is sky daily who is Brooke Shields from our wraparound. Um, and she he looks just she looks just like you, Sky, but uh he had these really hideous looking feet. <laughs> and then it pans down, and of course she has them. <laughs> uh another joke in this that I I just love. They didn't have the light fixed on Ricky Coogan, and they've got a cactus behind him the whole time, so it always looks like you think he's still the freak. Yeah. I love the commitment to stupidity that this film has, while at the same time being incredibly creative with super talented people behind it. Yeah, absolutely. And one of my, I love the cactus reveal, but one of my favorite jokes in the movie comes right before the cactus reveal. And it is the one commercial break we get during the Sky Daily Show. And it is for a can of machismo. You like cheese. You like being a man. That's why you like... Machismo. Real cheese for real men. Now in a handy aluminum dispenser. I heard Alex Winter talk about this, that they wanted three commercial breaks. And the whole joke was the movie was supposed to be 90 minutes exactly. But they, you know, end up cutting like 10 or 15 minutes. And I think it's, what is it? 75, 76? It's 78 with credits. It's 75 without. The machismo was shot post-production and it's the only one that they could do. Well, it's a great one. They picked the right one to just stick in there because it cracks me up every time. Yeah. I mean, this film, if you haven't seen it and you've just listened to us talk about it, we only touched on about 12%. Yes, it's just so fucking much. Yeah, it's just like I said, the jokes come fast and furious. It's a bunch of really, really funny one liners. And like there's a million characters in this thing, too. (laughs) And they're all famous actors. (laughs) Let's go on to the museum. This is the second time I've had to reclaim my property from you. That belongs in a museum. So do you. This is the part of the show where we go out in the film jungle like Indy and bring something back. And wow, this one's going to be tough for our 90s slime. 
wing of the museum, I guess. Yeah, our slimy little March month. <laughs> well, since you own the VHS, I'm going to be polite and let you go first. What do you got? I love everything about this movie, but I'm going to put in the Tasty Freak Machine because we wouldn't have all these wonderful creations if we didn't have the Tasty Freak Machine. So it is our freak maker. It is loud and it spits out our uh, yogurt-esque slime that Zygrat 24 that turns all of our wonderful characters into the mutations they are. Yeah, mine is what the joke that uh, I, I woke up my roommate with. I laughed so hard because we were in the same room. He was on the talk bunk. Yes, in college, I was in bunk beds. We had so much more space to do activities. Yeah, it's in the middle of the night and I'm watching this on my computer and styrofoam cup. I just cracked up and he woke up. What are you watching? This movie called Freaked. Okay, I'm going to go back to sleep. <laughs> just puts the cover over his head because you know he's annoyed as shit. Because you just hear me giggling in the middle of the night. Yeah, I mean, it's a good joke. It's a good joke. You can't help it. His delivery is so amazing. And then he walks all the way to a shack and he's got butter on his hand so he can't open it up. And Ricky Coogan, like, they do all this work to get the good gel to make the good freak. And he just leaves it. It's like, oh, shit. And then I love how, like, the sound of the machine goes off. And then it cuts to him. You know, Skug's sitting there and he's got the TV really loud. <laughs> he's watching TJ Hooker and he can't yeah. hear the sirens of the Tasty Freak machine. But he hears the cup. <laughs> oh, that delivery is perfect. Randy Quaid. Oh, I wish you wouldn't have gone crazy. I want to see more of your insanity on film. This is my favorite Randy Quaid in this movie. He's so funny. He's scary. Like, the scene when... Ricky Coogan first wakes up and he's like revealing that he's like the half freak or whatever. He looks so terrifying as he's like approaching uh, Ricky in that scene when he's like holding the mirror up to him. Yeah. Oh my God. And it's, and then he, but then he's hilarious throughout and it's like, man, you could play it all in this. And that whole, the whole set that they put together for the freak show. Wow. I mean, they built all that out. No, the whole theme park looks amazing. The giant head with the eyes, which we didn't even talk about eye and eye. Uh, we won't. because <laughs> we'll be here forever. <laughs> um, but there's so much. That'll end it this week. What a treat. I loved it. It kind of also finishes off our Bill and Ted franchise. Yeah, I think this is a nice tie between our Secret of the Ooze kind of Ninja Turtles and the Bill and Ted's we've talked about all three of now. So yeah, it does feel like a nice completion that we did with all of it. Alex Winter, we were like your biggest fans, man. <laughs> yeah, really, truly make more stuff, please. I want to see more of what's in your brain be put on film. And his documentaries are great too. He, you know, he could, he literally can do it all. I'm going to mention this person's name. Uh, the person who did the amazing opening credits uh, with uh, who Henry Rollins is playing. Uh, his mm. name is David Daniels. He does this like claymation layered animation. It's amazing. It's like Nickelodeon on steroids. <laughs> no one else does it like this. He like invented this way of doing it. You know what? I don't know how Alex Winter met him, but I'm so glad that he used him in the idiot box opening freaked opening and a few other things throughout time that he's been a part of fantastic artist that does something that no one else does yeah those opening credits are again out of this world really snaps you into like what kind of thing you're going to be watching and you can actually find it it's probably on youtube now but he actually shows how he does this process and it's just amazing i don't know how the hell 
he molds these together and then cuts them and shoots them. But it's incredible. It's amazing. Fantastic. Look him up. David Daniels. Anyway, that'll end it this week. Next week, we are doing a continuation of a franchise. Matt, I know you're pumped. I'm pumped. (laughs) (laughs) Or not. (laughs) But... It, it also feels it feels necessary. We have to we started this journey. We need to finish this journey. Uh, and I and I looked I look more forward to doing the back half of this catalog versus the first half because I liked more of the back half from memory. So we'll see how I feel these days <laughs> about them. But uh, I am excited to finish this franchise and explore just how weird it gets, you know, in a series that's. 10 movies long. Well, I'm utterly terrified, so <laughs> get ready. <laughs> it's going to be great. We're going to we're going to be fine. <laughs> we will survive this too. But anyway, remember to be kind and rewind. Haley Piper, Patrick Lacey, S.E. Howard, Waylon Jordan and Jeremy Herbert. Five acclaimed authors of horror and dark fiction. Their twisted tales appeared in the acclaimed horror anthology Worst Laid Plans from Grindhouse Press. Now, their tales of vacation terror are coming to the big screen in a feature film adaptation from Genre Blast Films. Five acclaimed genre filmmakers will bring these stories to life. Samantha Koyesnik, John Hale, Vanessa Yonta Wright, Michael Escobedo, and Jeremy Herbert. Worst Laid Plans. Now crowdfunding on Indiegogo. This is one vacation you'll be dying to take. Can be. Is your bird? Is your blimp?